Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Redlands campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. We are week two of this series, Finding the Good Life. And last week we talked about how this 80-year study, it's actually longer than Jess said before. It's, I think it's up to about 84 years. It's a long study, no matter how many years. And uh, what they've, what, where they've landed in this study, say, what is it that makes the good life? It's not a great career. It's not a lot of money. It's not paying off your mortgage before it's due to be paid off. It's not in an abundance of stuff without fail. 84 years of study, thousands and thousands of people being studied holistically. Their conclusion is this, the good life is found in good relationships, deep relationships with those who are close to us. Let's remind ourselves of this study just by watching this video at the risk of repeating what I just said. Have you ever wondered what the key to a good life is? Harvard researchers have studied thousands of people for over 80 years and they've figured it out. The key to a good life is relationships. Over and over again, they've found that people who are successful and happy are the ones who lean into relationships with their families, friends, and communities. But these researchers only discovered what God showed us long ago. Just like it says in Luke 10, 27, we are created for community. Whether that's relationship with God, your partner, your family, or your community. The Bible says it, the study's proven it. So together, let's learn how to live the good life. Yes, that's pretty much what I just said, isn't it? Uh, that was me segueing from a prayer into the series. But anyway, that's, that's what this series is all about, helping us to find the good life. There we go. Can we dial it back to maybe a little less power? Thing? Oh, I can feel the breeze now. That's, that's beautiful. Thank you. Can you all still hear me okay? Yeah, good. You, you'll appreciate the cool air. There's this African saying, this ancient African saying that translates into English something like this. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. I reckon that saying just on its own strength captures this series so well. Not only does it capture this series so well, it captures everything, every reason why we're doing this series. I think when I look around and I look at people who we are experiencing loneliness as an epidemic around our country, around our world at the moment, because we're going alone because we wanna go fast. We wanna reach our dreams and goals faster than the next person. We wanna get more so that, and and getting more means other people get less. We're going fast after things and to go fast, we need to go alone. But the church that belongs to Jesus, we wanna go far. We don't wanna go fast, we wanna go far. And so we want to go together. And again, this evidence of 84 years of investigation and research says that to go far is to go better because to go far means to go with others, to go together. And to go together means having close, flourishing relationships. Living the good life is living it together. That's what we're on about. That's what we're on about. This saying captures the heart of this cultural moment we're in. It captures the heart of this message today. And I think it captures the heart of one of the big thrusts 
of what God's story is all about. Solid, deep, loving social connections are the bread and butter of the good life. And today, I wanna say that finding your tribe, finding your tribe is finding those social connections that will help you to go far together. For life group leaders who are freaking out right now, yes, we are out of order with this series. It's kind of annoying because we wanted to start here with intimate relationships and then move out to family and then move out to tribe and then move broader than that. We are out of sync. We have our senior pastor, Jason Ellsmore, coming next weekend, which is exciting. And he's gonna give us the family message. So we're going out and then we're going back in again, okay? So life group leaders, be ready for that. Bit of rejigging, but we will, uh, we will get there in the end. Finding your tribe. Finding your tribe is what we're talking about today. There's another study uh, that's been happening, or it happened back in the 50s, I think. And the guy who did this study, his name is Edward Hall. And after he did this study, he came up with this term that I want you to say after me, proxemics. Proxemics, okay? You can wow your friends with what you learned today. Proxemics, proxemics. Can I just show the, the picture? That's, that's So this, this is what this guy did. He wanted to understand a bit about what we're talking about in this series. How, what are the relationships? What are the key relationships that people need in their lives in order to flourish, in order to have the good life. Okay, so way back when this Harvard study began, Edward, Edward Hall was thinking similar thoughts, trying to understand what are the relationships that people need to have in their lives in order to flourish. And the way he framed it up is how close we let people in our lives. Now, my wife is sitting in the front row. She is about the only person in this room that I could get up this close with and talk to and have no problem at all. She's looking very uncomfortable, but I would not do this to anyone else in the room, even if I was just making a point. She is one of the few people in my life, probably the only person now, because none of my kids want to get less than 50 centimetres closer to me. Uh, I, I still try to bring my eight-year-old in as close because he still doesn't mind a cuddle. The rest, no way, they're disinterested. But Brooke is someone who comes within 50 centimetres and sometimes zero centimetres. Anyway, and uh, that's important. Having relationships like that are important for humans to flourish. We need to have someone, at least one, who can come into that. Now, we're talking intimacy, their husband and wife, but it's also close friends, people who we bring in close, people who we have intimate conversations with. He expressed this in distance. The next, the next size out is the personal space. So we go from the intimate space to the personal space. And this is like 0.5 to 1 metre. So, you know, when you go to someone's place for the first time, you probably won't sit down next to them on the couch. But if you've known them for a while, you will. Like there's people in your life who you're just super comfortable with. They might not come in really close, but they come in close. Okay, so and we need relationships like that. This is Edward, Edward Hall did a bit of a study, said somewhere between three to seven people up to maybe 12 people uh, who we allow into this personal space. We need people. These are the people like think, I'm in hospital, I'm sick, I need someone to cook meals for my family. That's those people. People are going to come and visit me when I'm sick in hospital. That, that small group of close friends that you have, that's, that's your personal space. And having people like that in your life are key to human flourishing. The next space out is the social space. One to four metres. It's up to about 70 people. Like think I'm turning 40 this year, wherever you're on that, whether that was a long time ago or a long way ahead or around about right for you. When, when you turn 40 and you invite all your friends, it's a it's a Largest group, I hope. Uh, so up to about 70 people, the social space, the people who you're, you're connected with, you know, you know their name, they know your name and you know their a little bit of their story and they know a little bit of your story. Having a crew like that, having a, 
let me give away where I'm going this morning. Having a tribe like that is an important part of human flourishing. And then you have the public space plus four metres. Now, when I go to a footy match and I watch the Essendon Bombers play, I have something, I have a connection with everyone else who's wearing red and black on that day. I know nothing else about them. I just know that, that they're an Essendon fan. And for the two hours of that match, we're friends and we'll commiserate after the Bombers lose again, after the game. But that's a connection that we have and those connections are important too. Can I suggest that if you look around the room this morning and you see a face that you don't recognise and you barely know their name, you are experiencing the public space right now. And that's important. That's an important part of human flourishing. But if you didn't pick up the hint before of what I was saying when I called that social space the tribe, and this might surprise some of us, the most important space to fill, for us to really know who we are and know where we belong and to find our identity and to find our people is the social space. It's the social space. The social space is typically the place where individuals feel the greatest sense of affinity with one another, for one another. So you're in a group, could be up to about 70 people, you know their name, you know a bit of their story, They know your name and know a bit of your story. That is a really important space, social space to be in, in order to flourish. And let's call that space this morning, our tribe, our tribe. If you think about it, most of human history, uh, the industrial revolution changed the way we work. But prior to that, being uh, majority agricultural society, when we would uh, live and we'd live on our, our block of land, we wouldn't move too far from home. We wouldn't move to another city. We wouldn't move to another country. We'd stay pretty close. And as your family grew, you'd have a a group, a size of people that were about that social space. So for most of our human existence, we've moved and lived within this social space. It's only a recent development that this doesn't happen much anymore. This doesn't happen much anymore. So the social context is a group of people that is small enough that you still get noticed but it's big enough that you feel like you could accomplish something together. You could go far together. You have a shared purpose. You have a shared mission. And today I wanna talk about finding our tribe, finding your tribe. The big question. Now, the two big questions of identity, the first one is who am I? That then informs the second one, where do I belong? They're the two big questions that every human is asking. Who am I? Where do I belong? Where do I belong? When you find that, those people that you belong with will be your tribe. They'll be your tribe. That's the answer to the question. And when we're not able to answer this question, when we can't answer that question really clearly and articulately, then we start to drift in what we heard about last week. We start to drift in to loneliness because we lack the social connection we need in order to live the good life. This is our tribe and it's key to the good life to find your tribe. And if you think about it, tribes are everywhere. Tribes are everywhere. I I saw as I was scrolling through Facebook this week, the Socceroos, their mantra at the moment, the little, the little saying to try and build team and build that connection between the players, which in modern sport is so important, the connection between players. Their saying is this, many journeys, one jersey. Many journeys, one jersey. They're, they're talking what we just prayed about. They wanna bring unity among 
these few men who play soccer together. They want to bring a unity there, many, journey, many journeys, one jersey. What do they want to do? They want to form a tribe. They want to form a tribe. This is where I see our tribes mostly on displays in our sporting clubs and teams, but they can be elsewhere as well, uh, in our neighbourhoods, uh, in our social groups, churches, all this sort of stuff. Tribes are everywhere. Often the trouble with tribes, though, particularly when it comes to sports, the trouble with tribes is that they also share a common and very real enemy. And on the sporting field, that's the team wearing the other colours. And as, as much as you might be good mates off the field, when you're on the field, you're my enemy and I need to beat you. So as these tribes try to bring unity, often that unity is built around beating other people. And as true as that is on the sporting field, when you start talking about religion and politics and nations, that violence and aggression turns from the sporting field to actually guns and weapons and all the stuff happening that we're seeing on our TVs today. The Congo, in the Ukraine, in the Middle East, it's crazy what tribal warfare can do. I mean, even, even in our own country, do we dare apply tribe to the way that we voted yesterday? It seems like we do. It seems like every time there's an election or some political thing up for grabs, we move into our tribes. And even within an org- with, with a community like we're all a part of now, we divide. And the unity comes from the cause, but also in differentiating us from the other. Sometimes that differentiation, the division that comes, gets very aggressive and often violent. This grieves, grieves the heart of God because the tribe of Jesus is not like that. The tribe of Jesus is not like that. What I wanna do today is try to attempt, I wanna attempt to describe the tribe of Jesus so that we understand a bit more about the tribe that we are a part of, our primary tribe, our primary scent that answers that question, where do I belong This is our tribe, the Jesus tribe, to describe it to you. And I wanna come at this message today from a bit of a different angle than last week. Because I think most of you would be sitting here today because if you can excuse me from potentially offending you, because it's me as well. We are culturally conditioned to sit in a moment like this and hear from me about how what, what we've got happening at Gateway Redlands that will help your life to be better. I wanna flip it around this morning. And if you call Gateway Redlands home, if you would say using the language of this morning, yeah, this is my tribe, what I wanna do is I wanna come at the angle for this message today to say, if this is our tribe, how are we helping other people to find their tribe here? This is not a message angled at helping you to find your tribe here. This, is an, this message is angled to, if you're a part of this tribe, what can I do to change my posture, to change my attitude, to be more welcoming for people who are trying to find their tribe to find it here? That's how I wanna angle this, this morning. So let me try to describe the tribe that we belong to. The first thing I notice about the Jesus tribe is that it crosses boundaries. The Jesus tribe crosses boundaries. This week I read about an inspiring church 
inspiring church that has two names, two names. It's known by two names. The first name it's known by in English is the Border Church. The second name is the La Iglesia Fronteriza. I'm sure I have not pronounced that right. They have an English name and they have a Spanish name. And the reason they have this is because their church exists across the US-Mexican border. I got a picture of what this church looks like as they gather together. This is one church meeting across the border, across the boundary. And what's, what's almost a bit heartbreaking about this story is that there was a time when they were able to do things like share communion through the fence. You know, fences that have big enough gaps in them, like those, I don't know what they're called, but they've got like diamond shapes in them. What are those fences called? I can't hear you anyway, the fans are too loud. You know the fence I'm talking about, the ones you used to climb when you were a kid and when you got to the top, you'd flip over it. And that one, they used to be able to meet through a fence like that and they could hand bread and wine through the fence and share communion together. But that fence has changed. As many of you know, there's been a wall built that's a lot more difficult, but they do this thing. They do the pinky shake at the end of each gathering. They stick their pinkies through the little gaps in the fence and they touch, they touch their pinkies through the fence to express before we're Mexican and before we're American, we're a part of the Jesus tribe. And the Jesus tribe crosses this border. It crosses this boundary that has been put between us and we are one people through the wall. I mean, you can't hear that story and not think if you know the Bible of Ephesians 2, verses 14 to 16, Jesus, He Himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in His flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in Himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross which he put, by which He put to death their hostility. Now when Paul writes this, he's talking about Jews and Gentiles. But as, as you read Paul, you see that he if there's a wall that exists between two different tribes, Paul knows that Jesus wants to destroy that wall as well. And any division that we wanna put, whether it's geographical or anything else, Jesus wants us to cross that boundary and find tribe members on the other side of the boundaries that humans put up. The Jesus tribe crosses boundaries. The most powerful thing, the most powerful thing, daylight second, the most powerful thing that two humans can share in common is that they are in Christ. That's the deepest connection two humans can have, that they are in Christ and people who shouldn't be together because of the boundaries that we as humans put up. Don't stop that radical supernatural unity from happening. The tribe of Jesus brings together all types across every border that should otherwise keep us apart. The Jesus tribe crosses boundaries. That's the first thing I see. The second thing, and this kind of relates then flows on from the first one. The second thing, the Jesus tribe makes unlikely friends, friends. People who shouldn't be friends shouldn't be in the same room together. The Jesus tribe has this habit of bringing people like that together and not just having them tolerate one another, but become friends. If you read uh, through the lists in the different Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, if you read the lists of the 12 men that Jesus called to be His closest followers, like His, his little sort of tribe, 
if you read through the list, you won't, you won't notice this at first, but if you do a bit of a deep dive, you'll understand that two of those men that Jesus brought together, one of them was Matthew, the other one was Simon. And you might not know this when you read this, but Matthew was a tax collector and Simon, Simon is described as a zealot. They're both Jewish men. One is a tax collector, one is a zealot. Why is this important? Well, tax collectors, Jewish tax collectors, this was their job to, on behalf of the Roman government, which is the oppressive force that has taken over, Jew, uh, taken over Israel, taken over the Jews and are ruling the Jewish people, a tax collector worked for the Roman government to try and get as much money out of his fellow Jews as possible to give on to the Roman government. He would extract tax out of people. So he would travel around house to house, business to business, saying it's time to pay your tax. And the deal that he had with the Roman government was I'll get what they owe you. Anything above that is mine to keep. So what do you think Matthew does as he goes around house to house? He tries to get more out of his fellow Jews than what they actually have to pay. And if you were a wealthy tax collector, you were very, very good at ripping people off. So that's Matthew. That's one of the people that Jesus invites into his tribe. Now that, that, would, be, that would be full on enough if it wasn't then for Simon the Zealot. Now, Simon the Zealot, the Zealots were a group of Jewish people who saw the oppression of the Roman Empire and wanted to get rid of them by stealth and guerrilla warfare. The Zealots were so appalled by the Roman rule that they looked for every opportunity. They were, like, they were like secret groups that would go around and do things like, they didn't have grenades back then, but throw grenades into government buildings and all that sort of stuff to try and undermine and destroy the Roman rule by guerrilla warfare tactics. So what do you think Simon the Zealot thinks of Matthew the tax collector? I tell you, I picture Simon having a little shiv down the side of his sock. I don't even know if they had socks then, but strapped to his leg, ready to take it out and knife Matthew the first chance he got. This traitor, this, this bloke who's ripping us all off, who is sided with the Roman government. Jesus, are you kidding me? That bloke? Jesus says, yeah, I'm gonna bring you guys together and more than just bringing you together to tolerate one another, I'm gonna give you a vision and a cause bigger than the one you currently carry and I'm gonna make you friends. Friends. That's the power of the Jesus tribe. I heard a modern day story recently of another pair of unlikely friends. This was out of Rwanda. A lady named Grace and a man named John. And these, these two are, are like the closest two neighbours can get. They live side by side in Rwanda. And I think most of us know what happened in Rwanda uh, recently, the genocide that happened. This is where uh, the Hutus tried to wipe out the Tutsis. And the thing about Grace and John, first off, is that Grace is a Tutsi and John is a Hutu. And more importantly, that makes this friendship remarkable, is John was a part of the army that murdered all of Grace's family. How do you... How do you get past that? I have no idea. I can't even begin to imagine what that would be like. Part of the, the, the mission to rebuild Rwanda, the government said, we're gonna create these things called transformation villages. And we're gonna put people in there and we're gonna give them resources. And, and we're gonna, from the ground up, try and rebuild Rwanda. So Grace and John found themselves in a plot next to each other. And can you imagine the tension in the beginning? And Grace talked about that in the beginning. I didn't wanna look him in the eye. And in the beginning, he was so ashamed that he wanted to kill himself, but thought rather than doing that and, and checking out, I'm gonna help rebuild my country, dealing with all the shame that he carried from 
the side that he was on. So these two end up next to each other and there's a brick pile in the middle of their village that they have to always go to to get the bricks to build their homes. And they'd meet across the brick pile. And time after time, as they got to the brick pile and got to know each other, what happened? Because of the grace of Jesus that grace first carried and then John experienced himself, these two became friends. And the story I heard was from someone who met them and as, he's, as, as this person is talking to them, Grace says, let me introduce you to my neighbour and grabs John by the hand and brings him in close and puts, his hand, puts her hand around him and says, this is my neighbour, John, who I love. Come on. What, what other tribe can do that? The tribes they'd been a part of before wanted to kill each other and one had the power and the other didn't. And the murder and the violence that we see on our TV now is happening all over the place. A million people in Rwanda were killed in like 40 days. And then this new tribe, this new tribe, the power of Jesus in this tribe that makes unlikely friends, friends. There's a connection that is supernatural. You know, for us as humans, even Christian humans, It's natural for us to flock like birds, birds of a feather flocking together, to be with people who are like us and like us. There's a unique feature though about the Jesus tribe that brings together people who should not be friends. That's the power of the Jesus tribe. Jesus says in Luke 6, he didn't say it in Luke, Luke records him saying in 6, 27 to 28, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. That's heavy stuff. That is impossible stuff. That is super, super difficult stuff without the supernatural power of grace working in the Jesus tribe to make this a reality. Not that just we pray for them from a distance or we bless them from a distance, but the possibility that those who we pray for, who we would call our enemies, become our friends. That's a feature of the Jesus tribe. I think right now, right now as we who are a part of the Jesus tribe, look at the world around us. We know there are other tribes out there actively opposed to us. Actively opposed to us. Would be happy if every church in Australia shut their doors. We know this. They're the ones that Jesus is talking about. When He says, love your neighbours, pray for those who persecute you, bless them, and maybe one day they might become friends. Jesus tribe makes unlikely friends. Friends, the third thing that I notice, the Jesus tribe welcomes the vulnerable. The Jesus tribe welcomes the vulnerable. Last week as we launched the series uh, and as that finished, I had conversations with people that day and into the coming days that made me realise the stuff I said was so true. Loneliness is very real, is very real for so many of us. We struggle with loneliness, you know, McCrindle, who, um, McCrindle are a, like a research organisation in Australia. They did research recently, sort of as we have come out of COVID and this sort of the world that we now live in, the effects of COVID on the other side have increased our sense of loneliness. These, these stats might stagger you. In Australia, 62%, 62% of young adults say they experience loneliness regularly. 62% of young adults 
say they experience loneliness regularly. 46% of seniors reported struggling with loneliness. And overall, as a nation, our whole population, 55%, over half, like, over half the people in this room struggle with loneliness. And here's what, where I wanna re-emphasize the message. For those of us, the angle of the message, sorry. Those of us who call ourselves members of the Jesus tribe, we need to welcome the vulnerable. If we hear that loneliness stuff and go, I'm so thankful that I don't struggle with loneliness, that is awesome. But the person next to you does. And maybe Jesus wants you as a member of His tribe to welcome those who are vulnerable. And right now, those who are lonely are vulnerable. We heard about that last week. More than just those, though, more than just the lonely. In Scripture, there is this, there's this um, list of four groups of people that constantly comes up in Scripture, constantly comes up as deep in the heart of God, people who He is concerned for. People have called this uh, the quartet of the vulnerable the quartet of the vulnerable. There's four groups. This is who they are. The widow, the orphan, the immigrant or the refugee, and the poor. The widow, the orphan, the immigrant or refugee, and the poor. These constantly come up in Scripture as the people that God's heart aches for. Zechariah 7 verses 9 to 10 says, This is what the Lord Almighty said, Administer true justice, Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. Do not plot evil against each other. James carries this on. James 1.27, he mentions the first two. This is in the New Testament. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. What James goes on to write about is the dangers of favoritism in the Jesus tribe. Like don't get sucked into preferring a group of people over another and particularly look out for those who come into your tribe who are visibly poor and struggling. James is at pains to say, this is what the Jesus tribe looks like. We welcome the vulnerable. And let me, let me, let me really emphasise this point. The vulnerable are not people who should sit outside of our community that are on the receiving end of our charity. That's not what welcoming the vulnerable is. That, that's, that's serving the vulnerable. That's being generous to the vulnerable. But, but the Jesus tribe does more than just give charity to those who sit outside of our community. The Jesus tribe welcomes in the vulnerable and makes them part of the family. And the sense I get from Scripture because of God's heart is that we go the extra mile to welcome in the vulnerable, to welcome in the widows, the orphans, the immigrant, the refugee and the poor. That's a feature of the Jesus tribe. And finally, the Jesus tribe is never full. (laughs) The Jesus tribe is never full. You know, the thrust of the Great Commission from Jesus in Matthew 28 is that His church is ever expanding, ever growing. There's always more people being added to the number that is the Jesus tribe. It's never full. I remember uh, when I was in the UK, I've only been once, and I went on my own, which I was petrified of because I'm a very anxious traveller. didn't have my wife there to look after me. I had to go on my own and figure it all out on my own, so I was pretty anxious uh, and that anxiety went 
to like blow out the scale when I was sitting in Euston train station waiting to go from London up to Manchester and I'm sitting there with my headphones on and I didn't hear an announcement. The only thing that gave me evidence that something had been announced is when like 3,000 people suddenly got up and walked out of the train station and I went, what the heck is going on? And I was able to figure out as they repeated the announcement that some kids had been playing on the train line just down the road from Euston and every train out of Euston had been shut down, every single train. And we had to work, walk to another train station. So I'd already been anxious about trying to find Euston on my feet. Now to work to walk to a different train station and uh, find a train that was going to get me to Manchester, having no idea how the UK train system worked. I hadn't been on a train. I barely know how it works here in Australia. You go to London and you see the tube and it's, it's, in, it's insane. So I'm trying to figure out how to do this. And the, the amount of people that were on the platform. So we're shoulder to shoulder on the platform. And yeah, platforms are like three times the size of the trains that were pulling up. So these trains are filling up with people and I'm freaking out going, how on earth am I going to fit on this train to get to where I need to get to? The trains were full, one after the other, full, full, full. And I'm freaking out going, I can't get to where I need to go to. What ended up happening is I think the third train that came through, I literally squeezed in. I had my suitcase and I squeezed into the vestibule and I'm standing there like this for two hours on the train, the the deviated train line to get around those stupid, stupid kids who have been playing on the train line to end up getting to Manchester where I was visiting my friends. When things are full, we get anxious. (laughs) When things are full or we get, we get squeezed in, oh, we got a little bit of room, come on in, yeah, we'll, we'll try and make it work. We'll give you the scraps. We'll try and squeeze you into the vestibule. When we're on the receiving end of things being full or just being told out, flat out, no, it's full, you can't come. I mean, I think we've experienced that multiple times in our lives. That hurts. That makes us feel lesser humans. If anything, it makes us regret the fact that we didn't buy tickets sooner or sort things out sooner. But when things are full and we're on the receiving end of a rejection, it hurts. The tribe of Jesus is never full. There's always room. There's always room. The only time it will finish is when Jesus comes back and says, it's time for the next. Until then, there is always abundant room in the tribe of Jesus for more people to come in, more and more people to come in, more and more and more and more and more and more. Always, the way we express this at Gateway, we wanna see more doors opened in more places so that more people can experience the life-transforming message of Jesus and His gospel. That's our heart because we know that we need more space for more people to come in because the tribe of Jesus is never full. I was reading through Philippians the other day and I felt this this passage capture my heart for us as Gateway Redlands. I felt this verse, in particular as I was thinking about things we're planning for in 2024, I felt this verse really nailed what I hope will be our shared mission, our shared purpose as a campus. Philippians 1.27, Paul writes to them, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that, and here it is, you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Striving together as one for the faith of the gospel does not look like turning inward, batting down the hatches, dealing with all those tribes who hate us and saying, let's ignore them. Let's just get on with what we wanna do to make ourselves feel good. That is not 
striving for the faith of the gospel, striving for the faith of the gospel is doors flung wide open, wide open, that anyone who wants to come, particularly the vulnerable, but anyone who wants to come can come and be a part of the Jesus tribe. That's the heart of God. The Jesus tribe is never full. And let that be our heart, Gateway Redlands, that we are always looking for ways to create more space so that more people can come. We never wanna be full. The Jesus tribe crosses boundaries. It's full of unlikely friends. It welcomes the vulnerable and it's never full. These statements describe the Jesus tribe. It's a tribe like no other. It's a tribe that is radically inclusive like no other. It's exceedingly welcoming like no other and it's extravagantly loving like no other tribe can hope to be. That's the tribe that we are a part of who call Gateway Redlands home and who love Jesus. What does this dream mean for us? What, what, are these, what are these four features of the Jesus tribe? What difference should that make for us? As I think about our tribe, and then I go back to that stuff I was saying before about proxemics. Can you say it again? Proxemics. And that third space, the social space. What I start to think about are life groups. Life groups. And the stuff that we express as a tribe, these four things, of course, but so much more. There's 59 statements in the New Testament, 59 statements in the New Testament that tell us how to relate with each other. They're called the one another statements or the each other statements. This is what you should do with each other. Confess your sins to one another, serve one another, carry the burdens of each other. All that stuff that makes up who we are as a tribe, the best context I see that expressed is in something we call life groups. This right here is a beautiful expression of our tribe. It is. I love it. I love it. But the best expression of our tribe, we need to get a bit smaller. We need to get below the upper end of that social context. We need to take it from the public space down into the social space. So let me go back over these four features and talk about what I think they can look like and challenge us as life group leaders and members of life groups about what it can look like. So the Jesus tribe crosses boundaries. It's so natural. It is so natural for us to form life groups around a shared living experience or a shared set of circumstances. That is true of our life group. I stood on the stage back when our life group was starting and I said, our life group is for parents of kids who don't wanna bring those kids to life group. (laughs) What a plug. It turns out there's a bunch of other parents like us who that was a dream. And once a fortnight we gather together and we try to do life together. And that's, that's natural. That's how most of our life groups form actually is through a shared experience. I wanna to get together with people who, who are in a similar life circumstance to me because that, that, will help, that will help me. Can I challenge us as life groups to cross some boundaries? Man, I'm, I'm, I'm getting passionate about this because I'm looking in the mirror and I'm going, Sam, start crossing some boundaries. As a life group together, start having the conversation. Who are the people who aren't here? who we can cross the boundary and invite in. Boundaries of age, boundaries of different life circumstances. Start crossing some boundaries and making space in our life group to do that. Unlikely friends, this will happen as we cross boundaries. As we cross those boundaries, those borders that make us unlikely friends and we invite people in to that best expression of us being the Jesus tribe into our life group, surprising friendships will start to develop people who you might not have been friends with otherwise as you've crossed the border and invited people in. 
They become your friends, surprise, surprise. And suddenly you've got friendships like Matthew and Simon and Grace and John. Maybe not that extreme, but maybe, who knows? Welcoming the vulnerable is a a challenge here as a life group to have the conversation. And, And that's what these points are, by the way, conversation starters. You need to work this out in your life group. By the way, right now we have 193 people connected in life groups. It's an extraordinary number. For an average of about 210 people per Sunday, have 193 people connected in life groups is extraordinary. And I'm so grateful to Jesus as what he's doing here in the life group space. It is remarkable. So I'm talking to a lot of you who are in life groups. If you're not, let me get to that at the end. But I'm, I feel like I'm talking to most people who, you might not have been to your life group for a while, but you know you're in one. <laughs> hey, we're busy people, right? Sure. But as a life group, next time you gather, whether it's this week or next week or whenever you're together again, have a conversation about what it could look like for you as a group to welcome the vulnerable, to welcome the vulnerable. Start talking about the people who you know in your sphere who are in that vulnerable category and think about how you can invite them in and welcome them to join your group. That's, that's crossing a border as well. These, these four features all intermingle. This is a great conversation for you to have in your life group. How can we welcome the vulnerable? And then we're never full. <laughs> we're never full. Who knows if you've been around church for a long time. Group life groups reach a point where you put a line through the sign-up sheet because you say, sorry, we're full. It's a really hard thing to come to. It's an even harder thing for the person who wants to join a life group to see that and to hear that. Sorry, we're full. And let me, let me say this, I totally get this, by the way. I totally get it because we don't have a huge lounge room for our life group and it already feels full with the 10 or 12 people that we get once a fortnight. It feels full and there is a tendency to go, we can't fit any more people in. We can't do it. Sorry, we're full, but we're ch- I'm challenged and we're challenged by this reality that Jesus' tribe is never full. What can we do as a community to create more space so that more people can join life groups? Here's an idea. For those of you who every time I've stood up here and said leading a life group might be your thing, God's tapping you on the shoulder and you've ignored it, guess what? That tap is happening again right now. There are people in here who could lead incredible life groups, but you've been either out of the game for a while or there's fear, there's hesitancy, or there's just pure laziness, and you just don't want to sign up. Today is the day because it's on us. It's on us as the Jesus tribe to create space for more people to come in. So if you've been that, had that tap on the shoulder, your only response this morning is to talk to Kathy and say, I'm keen to start a life group. I'm keen to host a life group in my home. We need more groups. We need more groups. The other challenge though is this, that social space, remember, as, as sociologists have looked at it and, and looked into it, that social space can be up to 70 people. I'm not saying you should have 70 people in your life group, but what I am challenging is this idea that 12 is the limit to life groups. Like that's been the teaching since life groups became the silver bullet for doing community in your church. 
It's not the silver bullet, by the way. But when it was all the big thing, if you get more than 12, that messes up the dynamic. I want to challenge that and say you can go bigger. You can go up to 20 people. You could go up to 30 people and still have this tribe where people can feel a part and feel their identity. And that question of where do I belong is being met by being part of your community. So there's some new life group leaders out of this morning. And there's some of us being challenged about the size of our life group. Life groups are the space where I think we can best express our identity as the tribe of Jesus. And we need more space. We need more. We need more. I'm going to get the band to come back up. So come back up, guys. I've got to say again, I have never been happier to be a part of the Jesus tribe as I am being part of this Jesus tribe. I absolutely love this community. I love you. I love the way you love me and my family. I love the way we do life together. I love our authenticity. I love our buy-in. I love the way we serve each other. I love the way we love each other. Even as I say that, if you received my email, you would have read, there's this passage in Thessalonians where Paul says, about brotherly love, about your love within the family, I don't need to write to you because your reputation is incredible. I I thought of you when I read this. But he goes on to say, but let's do it more and more. Let's do it more and more. That's my challenge to us today. We do this well, but we can do it more and more. We can be a tribe that crosses boundaries. We can be a tribe that makes unlikely friends, friends. We can be a tribe that welcomes the vulnerable and we can be a tribe that is never full. And if you think of your experience, your relationship with Jesus. Jesus crossed a boundary to welcome you into the tribe. Jesus not only became friends with you, but became your best friend. And that friendship between a holy God and a broken and weak sinner is the most unlikely of friendships. And yet that's your experience as you sit here today, if you know Him. Jesus welcomes, welcomed you as a vulnerable person, caught in your sin and shame exposed, naked, without hope, dead in your sins. And Jesus spoke life into you and brought you to life. You were vulnerable and He welcomed you in. And thank Jesus that His tribe was not full enough that there wasn't space for you. Not just space for you, but abundant space. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If we can pray for you or you would like to take a further step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to connect with you. Please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click on Get Connected to let us know.